0: Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the Kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, we're in week, uh, I don't know, 27, not really, but probably week 5 or 6 in a series called Not Home Yet. Perhaps you've been at a restaurant and you overheard someone at the table next to you, not that you were eavesdropping, just that they were talking loudly. You overheard them speaking and you could tell just from their accent that they were not from here. They were from somewhere far, far away, uh, maybe like Texas. Or, uh, but there was something about the way they spoke that you knew they weren't from here. Did you know as Followers of Jesus, no matter where you were born on planet Earth, we're not from here, right? The word says we are strangers, we are aliens, we are foreigners, on a journey through this world, but we're not of this world. And so, on that, on that, um, that mindset. This is week two of a sort of a series within a series on how to live a godly life. How many of you trying to live a godly life? Raise your hand. That should be all of us. No, I'm just hell-bent on being a reprobate. No, most of us, we're trying to live a godly life. But we're having to try to live a godly life in an ungodly world. Most people, Crystal kind of alluded to it a few minutes ago, most people don't clap your hands and cheer when you decide to make a decision that honors God. Most people will say, well, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? As a matter of fact, if you stand up for your Savior, or if you try to stand against sin, not publicly, just in your own life, people are going to do things like call you a hater. You notice that? Just standing for biblical convictions today, well, people have people call you a hater? If you try to stand for biblical convictions today, they're going to they're going to tell you you're out of touch and you're definitely out of style. All of this reminds us that we're not home yet. And we're, this series is walking us through the, the letter of 1 Peter. And we're going to pick up reading there this morning. It says, therefore, in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry they think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dispensation and they heap abuse on you but they'll have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead i want to skip down for time's sake this morning to verse number eight says above all love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins father we love you I just thank you for every person that's in the room this morning. None of us are here because we have it all together. None of us are here because we've got this living for Jesus thing figured out. But we are here because we've figured out that you love us and we love you. We have figured out the best way to live this life is to live it for Jesus. And we have figured out that apart from you, we can do nothing. So Lord, help me this morning. Lord, anoint me above my own ability to speak the words of God, the words of God alone. Help our ears, our hearts, and our minds to hear what the Spirit of God does say to us and respond to it accordingly. And we'll give you thanks for it. remember the room say amen. amen. It's important, I think, for us to understand that when Jesus was walking the earth, he wasn't the most popular person in town. I think it's important to understand that when, though there were crowds of people that would clap when he show up, they would especially clap when he did wonderful things. For the most part, he was not uh, a person who was received by the culture. He was somewhat counter culture. The early church that we read about in the book of Acts, and all the New Testament letters are to the early church churches, I should say. Uh, they were not living in a time when it was popular to be a Christian, to be a Jesus follower. As a matter of fact, it was, it was a time when you could be ridiculed for following Jesus. They were attacked regularly. They were undermined and persecuted regularly. As a matter of fact, the Christian life from the death of Jesus to today, for the most part, has lived as a counterculture, sometimes even having to function because of persecution in underground churches and under-the-radar ministries. You know, in the early years of Christianity, the Roman Empire was just dead set against Christianity. Uh, the Romans' authorities considered Christianity to be uh, a threat to the established order. Do you know why? At times, when we're trying to live for Jesus, when we're trying to live according to his rules and his desires for our life, do you know why others take offense? Not because we're trying to be offensive, but just because we're trying to love God, love Jesus, love people, apply the word to our life. Why is is loving Jesus becoming so offensive in our world today? The reason is because loving Jesus is a threat to the authorities that want to live and, and, and uh, direct life as we know it today. Roman authorities were considered Christianity to be a threat to their order and actually targeted Christians with persecution, imprisonment, torture, and even execution. A lot of famous, or some few famous examples would be Stephen, the first martyr of the early church. The Apostle Peter, who was also martyred for his faith, or the Apostle Paul, or John the Revelator, who was tortured for his faith. You know, we've been blessed. Pastor, you're kind of bringing us down this morning. I understand. We've been blessed as a nation to not really have to endure much much persecution as a Jesus follower. Most of our persecution at, at, at best or at worst, however you want to look at it, at worst, is, is verbal persecution. It, it's, it's, maybe it's mockery or, it's, or it's, it's character assassination or something like that. But it, it hasn't really brought us to the point of physical pain. Thank the Lord for most of us. I'm not sure that's the future. you understand me? I said, I'm not sure that's the future. Have you ever thought that spiritual, We've heard all of our lives how people would flee their country to come to the U.S. to flee religious persecution. That still goes on today. Have you ever considered someone at some point may flee the U.S. for religious persecution? If that thought has never crossed your mind, then you need to wake up to where we live in 2023. That is not an unforeseeable future. That because you choose to stand for biblical principles, that you may be persecuted for your faith. I bring all that not to try to get you to even believe the, or agree with me on the, where we are as a status of uh, the Christian church in America today. I bring that to you just to understand that that was sort of ordinary, run-of-the-mill, that was normal for the early church. That was their every day, to get up, follow Jesus no matter what it costs. And did you know if you're going to live a godly life in an ungodly world, then we've got to decide, I'm going to follow Jesus, and then get the biggest sharpie we can and put a period on the end of that statement. That I'm going to follow Jesus, period. Period. I'm going to live a godly life, even if I have to do so in an ungodly world. I just wonder in this room today, how many people would, would take a stand like, like Joshua had to, stay, had to say, you know, it doesn't matter. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. If we have to do it in a, in a, in a crowd of people that love Jesus, awesome. But if we have to do it by ourselves, we're still going to love Jesus. Well, how, how can I develop that conviction or how can I live out that conviction? Maybe you have the conviction. You just don't know how to live it out. I want to help you with that this morning. Number one, we have to develop a holy resolve, simply a, a holy determination to please Jesus. Peter said that Christ suffered in his body. And if you have a real life Bible... You could even insert a couple of, a few words right here, because it's assumed in many it's, it's, it's in many translations it's omitted from others, but you have to assume that that phrase, that scripture actually says, "Therefore Christ suffered in His body for you. Jesus suffered in his body for you." And then he says, so arm yourselves with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Now, most of us don't like suffering. I mean, if there's a suffering class after service today, I'm not signing up for that. It's not, it's not, I'm not that weird. I am somewhat weird, but I'm not that weird. But Jesus says, Uh, Or Peter said, when you're you're really committed to the Lord, you're going to commit to Him in such a way. You're going to have this holy determination that I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what it costs. I have a single resolve to please Jesus. Jesus said like this. I've come down not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Jesus had this One resolve, and that was to please His heavenly Father. How do we live a godly life in an ungodly world? The first thing we've got to decide is, who is it in my life I'm trying to please? And there's a multitude of answers. Some people, I'm trying to please my boss. I'm trying to please my spouse. I'm trying to please my kids. I'm trying to please the world. Good luck with that one. I'm trying to please... The newspaper who's gonna write an article about me. I'm gonna try to please my boss on my job, my teacher in my school. I'm gonna try to please the coach on my on my on my sports team. I'm gonna try to please the band director. I'm gonna try to please the pastor. I'm really easy to please, by the way. But we can live our whole life trying to figure out who is it I'm trying to please. Jesus said, I'm just trying to please. One person, I'm going to try to do the will of the one who sent me. And Peter said, we've got to adopt the same mindset and the same attitude that Jesus had, which was a single-minded mindset to say, I'm going to please Jesus. How many of you have you discovered you can't please everybody? I'm pretty sure that if I reached in my pocket this morning and took out a wad of $100 bills... And started just walking through and giving everyone a hundred-dollar bill this morning. Does this sound like a good idea, to everybody? Anybody like this idea? I give every person a hundred-dollar bill on the way out in the parking lot. Someone's going to complain and say he should have given out two hundred dollars. Someone in the parking lot's going to say, "I'm not going back to that church." And my pastor's got so much money he's just throwing away hundred-dollar bills. How many understand somebody would say one of those two things, right? I'm giving stuff away and I can't please people. Neither can you. None of us can please everybody. But with faith in Jesus, you can please God. If your desire is to please Him. See, until you decide who the most important person in your life to please is, until you decide who that person is, You're going to spend your whole life running in circles. Have you ever seen the little kid's team playing soccer, and they're not sure which which goal is theirs? That's what your life looks like until you decide who you're trying to please. Have you ever seen a car enter an intersection, and in the middle of the intersection, they decide they wanted to go one way instead of the other? right? That's a scary, they're not just dangerous for themselves, they're dangerous to everybody because they're undecided. Can I tell you, until you decide, I'm going to please Jesus and he's the most important person for me to please, until you make that decision, your life looks a lot like those soccer players or a lot like that car in an intersection that's always changing direction. How many you know that one of the most dangerous ways to live your life is to live your life in the middle of, a, in, uh, in the middle of indecision? The Bible says a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. They're, They're like a wave on the sea, they're just blown back and forth. And some of us, we're spending our whole lives, we're blown back and forth from this way of thinking to that way of thinking. We're pursuing this passion and then that passion and trying to please this people and that people. And our, our garages looks like a, 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 a collection of 15 different sports memorabilia. And we have memberships to things we don't even know where they're located because we're, we're following this passion and that passion. We've never, we've never really settled on, who is it I'm trying to please? Why would anyone embrace this willingness to suffer even if their body needed be? Because they've decided to please Jesus. You know, even Jesus said, this is pretty hardcore here. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, he said, "If if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He said, "If you lose one of your one part of your body, it's better for your. You know, it's better for you to enter heaven with just part of your body than to enter into hell with your whole body." He's that, now that's talking about sacrificing, right? You're talking about plucking out your own eye. Why would you do that? He's talking, he's talking about do whatever it takes. I don't think he's really challenging any of us to grab a pencil and do that with. But he is challenging us to say. No matter what it costs or how painful it may seem, fix your eyes on pleasing Jesus. Paul said it like this. He says that those who live for him should no longer live for themselves. Jesus paid a price for all of us to be free. Aren't you thankful for that? That I can be free from my sin today. I can be free from my past today. I can be free from my addiction today. I can be free from my thought processes that used to lead me away from Jesus. He can do all that for me. But there's upon my shoulders this weight. And some of you aren't going to like this. But just because Jesus sets you free, there rests the weight on your life to stay free. We have to decide, I'm not going to go back into the place where I first was captured we have to stay out of what jesus delivers us from i have to walk out the freedom that he provides for me and the way i do that is i decide that my number one objective is to please god and not me number two you have to decide how can i live a godly life in an ungodly world number two i have to declare and decide that my past is over would you say this with me out loud this morning my past is over listen listen to these words. Peter says, you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. There used to be these t-shirts. I don't know if you ever had one. There used to be these t-shirts that said, been there, done that. Right? There was a phrase that said, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Some of us When we think about who we used to be before Jesus, we need to say, we've been there, I've done that. I'm not buying the t-shirt because I don't even want to think about it. I've been there, I've done that, and I'm not going back. My past is over, the history is history. It's It's not part of me anymore. Romans chapter 13 says, the night is over, the day is almost here. He says, so let us put aside... All the deeds of darkness, let's push to the side of the table. Let's get out of our lives, get out of our house, get out of our mind, all the things we used to do, who we used to be, and let's focus on Jesus because our past is over. You know, I'm thinking about Zacchaeus. He was a guy who you can see evidently with no question. He said, listen, my past is over. He said, if I've robbed anyone, I'll pay them back. He said, matter of fact, I'll not only give them back what I owe them, I'll pay them four times anything I took from them. He wanted people to know, listen, that guy is gone. My past is over he doesn't live here anymore it may be the same address i may look the same on the outside but i'm a different person can i tell you when jesus changes your life that's exactly what he desires to do in me and in you i may look the same on the outside but what comes out of my mouth and through the action of my life are completely gone because i'm a new person the bible says if anyone is in christ he's what a brand new creation the old is gone it's gone you can bring it up but he's not here and the, everything that's left is brand new. We got to have our past in the past. And did you know you cannot pursue the future while you dwell on the past? Have you ever heard the phrase, man that guy's got a one track mind. All he ever thinks about is Mexican food. All he ever thinks about is football. All they ever think about is fishing. All she ever thinks about is shopping. I and mean, they just got a one-track mind. You know, Philippians chapter 4 says this. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, think of those things. Romans chapter 13 is a very challenging scripture to me personally. It says to clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord. And don't let yourself think about I am talking talk about putting your past behind you. Don't even let yourself think about ways to indulge in evil desires. He says, don't even think about it. You know how the Word talks so much about our thinking? Because God is so smart, He knew that you cannot think about two things at once. Anybody in the room, you ever heard of the term multitasking? definition of multitasking is doing two things bad at one time. That's what multitasking is. But psychologists and uh, neuroscientists that have studied the brain, they said the brain can switch between tasks rapidly. Given the illusion of multitasking or multi-thinking. But in actuality, it's just shifting attention from one task to another task rapidly. Or it's moving from one thought to another thought rapidly. But the human mind cannot dwell on two thoughts at the same time. One is going to push the other thought out of the way. And the Word says to think on the things of the Lord. We have a one-track mind and we must make sure our track is towards our future in Jesus, not our past in the world. That's why Galatians says, if you will live by the Spirit, if you'll fix your mind on the things of the Lord, you will not gratify the deeds of your flesh. Number three, how to live a godly life in an ungodly world. I have to determine that I'm going to persevere through persecution. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same lifestyle, and they heap abuse upon you. How many of you just, let me just take a survey, how many would say that Jesus has changed, maybe it was last week, maybe it was 10 years ago, maybe it was 20 years ago, but you would say, Jesus has changed the direction of my life. Right? Right? And Peter says, when Jesus changes the direction of your life, other people will think it strange that you let him do so. Right? The the series is called Not of This World. One of the words that Peter uses to describe us as Jesus followers is strangers. So if we are strangers, we should not be offended when someone thinks we're strange. Right? We are strangers. We need to... Just own it. I am strange. So are you. Right? You are a bunch of strange folks. And if you're, first time you've been in our church, welcome. You'll fit right in. We're a bunch of strangers. Right? Not in the unknown sense of the word, but we're different. We've been called to be different. But that difference causes, how many other differences can cause friction? And Peter says, you've got to, if you're going to live a godly life in an ungodly world, you've got to learn to persevere through the, fi- through the friction that may come your way. See, persecution, the scripture, persecution, it, it, it happens in our life. There's like a four-step process to persecution. The first step is this. You stop doing what you used to do. Maybe you raised your hands a few minutes ago and said, yeah, there's some things I've stopped doing that I used to do, not because my pastor told me to, not because my mama told me to, or my daddy told me to. I've stopped doing it because the Lord spoke to my heart. I've been sanctified, which means I'm becoming less and less like I used to be, and I'm becoming more and more like Jesus wants me to be. And through that process, I'll, I just stopped doing what I used to do. Is that, is that anybody's testimony? You know, I used to be a jerk, but now I'm halfway sweet. You, I just, I'm just not. Some of you still working on that. That's okay. He will lead you if you will follow. But here, I just, you just stopped doing what you used to do. You didn't have a parade about it. You didn't put it on Facebook. You didn't, you didn't, you just stopped. And people think that's strange that they stopped. Because here's the second, second step of persecution. Number one, you you stop. Number two, people notice. Jill, when you stop doing. And being who you used to be, and you start being who God called you to be. Did you know that people notice? And they think it's strange. They're like, hey, where, where's our buddy? He used to be out with us. He used to come here with us. He used to do this with us. Hey, we, we're in the middle of this subject, and, and that person walked away. They used, they used to be right in the middle of this activity. What's up? That, strange. And then somewhere in that strange they shift. This happens around your water cooler all the way, all the time, by the way, if, if you're trying to live for Jesus at work. Then they say this Do they think they're better than us? Do they think they're Mrs. High and Mighty or Mr. Whatever? And all you did was you just stopped doing the things you used to do. And they noticed. And then here's the third step of persecution. They begin, I'm just taking this straight from that scripture, by the way. They begin to mock you because of your standing for Jesus. And here's where you got to determine that I'm going to persevere through persecution. They mock you. They say evil things about you. Some of it's true, some of it's not true. When I say true, it's true in the fact that you're no longer living that lifestyle. They may... They may point your past to you. And when people point your past out to you, well, you used to do this. Who do, you, who, who do you think you are to tell me what not to do or to live that way? I know the truth about you. And you can tell them that may be the truth about who I was, but it's not the truth about who I am today because of Jesus. And they ridicule you. They mock you. They make fun of you. They persecute you. And when that happens, you've got to decide it's okay. Um, my goal is to... Please Jesus. That's my goal, is to please Jesus. And did you know that people usually get the meanest when the convictions of your lifestyle are shining a spotlight on their lifestyle? You haven't said a word to them about what they're doing. You haven't condemned them. You haven't even said... You haven't even shared your testimony. You haven't even explained to them why you're not doing it anymore. You just, you just stopped. And they think it's strange that you stopped, and now they're persecuting because you, you because you stopped. They're heaping insults on you. And here's the fourth step. Here's where some of you are. The fourth step about persecution is this. It's not in the notes, by the way. If you feel lost, you're fine. But here's the fourth thing, the next thing that happens. After they begin to ridicule you, persecution will do one of two things in your life. Persecution will either draw you closer to God or drive you back to your old lifestyle. That's what persecution is going to do to each of us. It's going to push us closer to God. You know, Job, he... he, Acquired a lot of attention from the enemy because he was just trying to live for the Lord. He was, Job was trying to live a godly life in an ungodly world. So much so they got the attention of the, of the enemy who began to try, persecute, come against Job. And you know Job's story, right? He lost everything. Of course, because he endured, the Lord blessed him. But Job, who who, who said, I'm not going to curse God, I'm not going to give up following God, no matter what it costs me, even if it's painful to me, which it was in his case. Job said some very convicting words to me personally. He said these words. He said, I once had heard about the Lord, but now I know Him. That is so challenging to me that, that Job went through everything he went through having just heard of the Lord. But he said, now that I've been persecution, through persecution, he goes, now I know him. He, he, persecution drove him closer and closer to, a, to the, not just a head knowledge, but a personal knowledge of the Lord. Persecution either weakens your faith or it solidifies your faith. There's a gentleman by the name of Richard Warmbrand. That name may sound familiar to you. He was a Romanian Christian minister who endured years of persecution. He was uh, under communist rule in Romania. He was arrested, imprisoned, tortured for his faith uh, for years. And despite being persecuted for preaching the gospel, when they put him in prison, guess what he did? He preached the gospel. And many in prison became Jesus followers. When he got out of prison, he continued to preach Jesus and he started a organization called The Voice of the Martyrs, which I'm sure many of you have read articles, if not some of the books that have been produ- produced by them. It's just a picture that when you are face-to-face with persecution, you get to decide, am I going to keep living for Jesus and get to know Him better or let what is coming against me drive me far from Him? Number four, how do I live a godly life in an ungodly world? Number four, man, I forgot I'm out of time, aren't I? Number four, we have to learn to embrace an in-time perspective. I'm sitting here looking at my watch thinking, I'm doing so good this morning. I forgot. It's 11.05. Okay. Here we go. Two points in three minutes. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. The end of all things is near. Pastor, my grandma thought that, and that was 70 years ago. You know what that means? That means the end of all things is near. Nearer. One thing I want you to, I want you to learn something this morning, a little factoid about the Bible. If anyone who lived from the time, from the day, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost was the day that the last days began. Right? Peter said, "This is that that was prophesied by the prophet Joel." In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit. And so the very first day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, that was the first day of the last days. So you and I are living in the last days. But I believe we're living in the last days of the last days. Because there's other events on the prophetic calendar that had to be checkmarked, and they've just about all been checkmarked off. And Peter said you got to embrace. you got to realize all things, the end of all things are near. When I was in junior high school, I ran track and I ran the mile, which I don't do anymore for any reason at all. But, <laughs> but when I was training for the mile, our coach, he, he emphasized a big deal for him was this. He said, you pick a pace in the middle of the pack and you keep that pace for three laps. You don't try to pass anybody. You don't let yourself fall behind. You pick a pace in the pack, and you keep it. And so for like, "Ah, keep the pace. That's what I was doing. But he said, but when you get around that fourth lap, he said, forget the pace. You throw all you have into finishing this race. You run as fast as you can, as hard as you can, because you're on the final lap. Friends, I want to tell you, Peter says, the end of all things is near. We live in a world that preaches this nonsense about how you should live a balanced life. Malarkey. This is no time to to live a balanced life. The end of all things is near. You're a runner on the fourth lap of life, and you don't have time to keep the pace with the pack of the world. It's it's time to throw caution in the wind and say, my one goal is to finish this race and to please Jesus with every step on the way to the finish line. That's the only way we're going to live a godly life in a godless world. Bow your heads this morning. Father, I pray every one of us, none of us in this room, myself most of all, God, I am hopelessly doomed to fail if I'm going to live a godly life in a godless world if it all depends on me and what feels good to me and sounds good to me. Lord, I need more help than that. I need your help. And we in this room, Lord, I think most every person in this room would say they need their help as well. They need your help as well, Lord. So help us. God, help me remember who it is I'm trying to please. Help me persevere even though persecution comes. And help me embrace an end-time perspective, which also means I'm embracing an eternal perspective that I'm not just living my life for the here and now. I'm not home yet. I'm living my life for a time that's to come. Lord, empower me. Convict me when necessary so that I can live for you and finish well. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.